0: This is Adrian Paul from Highlander and you're listening to the Dead TV Podcast. another exciting episode of the Dead TV Podcast, a podcast dedicated to all the canceled TV shows in the science fiction, fantasy, and horror genre. I am your host, Dr. Chris.
1: And I'm Mr. Seneca.
0: And we are leaving the 80s and 90s soon to go further into the 90s. (laughs) We're not really leaving the 90s too far, Uh, but uh, for now we got two episodes of War of the Worlds, the series, which started in 1988 and ends in 1990, or whatever time period it happens to take place. It says almost tomorrow in every single episode, so it's... Probably the 90s, based on at least Debbie's age, so. (laughs) And we're going to cover these two episodes now. Mr. Zeneca has the plot synopsis for Totally Real.
1: Totally Real. Originally aired April 23rd, 1990, Season 2, Episode 17. Debbie is caught up in a fight simulation game developed by the aliens to study human creativity. And, like, oh my god, guys, this game is, like, Totally real. You die in the game and you die in real life. It's like totally awesome. That's my valley girl.
0: <laughs> you like it? Yeah, just as much as I loved it in Clueless. <laughs> <laughs> but you would be more associated probably with Elvira, who also has that valley girl kind of like, like gag me with a spoon, because she said that yeah, before. Yeah, she
1: she doesn't do it quite as quite as dramatic as that, but. <laughs> This was uh, a very interesting episode.
0: Right. We have a very black and versus white knight kind of... Uh, by black versus white, I mean like armor, spy versus spy kind of feel to it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it is about VR battles, virtual reality battles, and a betting pool for rich folks that are coming to the games because they want to see a battle to the death. And we have the...
0: And it's put on by the game master,
1: the it... host, the MC of the games.
0: And it's put on by the aliens, by the way. Just to get that out of the way, the aliens are responsible for this stupidity.
1: Well, yeah, they're they're trying to study human creativity and how they overcome obstacles in order to learn and adapt. I think I'm not exactly sure how learning about human creativity will help them better fight us, but that's the plot. And the the Game Master is actually someone that we've seen before. Uh, Actor Colm Fjord, who plays uh, Nikita, he was in Friday the 13th as the maestro from the episode The Maestro. Oh. You you recognize his face immediately. He has that mm, presence to him.
0: Yes, and uh, John Tench is the gambler in the episode. He's one of the gamblers. There's multiple gamblers, because they're all like, throwing bids around left and right.
1: Oh, yeah, the room is filled with rich people gambling.
0: Mm. He's still working today, in a bunch of stuff I haven't seen. I went through his entire IMDb, unfortunately, wasn't able to see anything. But he's one of the few actors in this thing that has like a longevity career. Andromeda is something else that he was on. He was in The Watchmen. Yes. As
1: and, one of the gang members.
0: Right. And he was also in Ninja Turtles The uh, Next Mutation. He was the monkey thief, so he had to wear a ridiculous, stupid costume. Uh, you know, something funny I want to point out about War of the Worlds and Andromeda. Um, War of the Worlds uh, would star uh, the, the actress who plays, um um what, what's her name, Mana? Mm-hmm. Manna. Uh, Manna. Uh, Catherine Disher, who I've said multiple times, would go on to play... Uh, the coroner on forever night in season three of forever night, we would get um, an actress uh, that teams up with Nick to play his new partner. Um, and this actress would go on to Andromeda show. We have mentioned multiple times have um, characters, you know, gravitating to there's a weird connection there. <laughs> Lisa Ryder. She, she would graduate from, uh, from, uh, Forever Night to Andromeda, and, uh, you know, she was on a show with Catherine Disher. That's basically all I was trying to say. <laughs>
1: okay. IMDB actually has a, a very interesting credit. There's someone in this episode that is nicknamed The Stoner, played by Peter uh, Sokoda. Uh,
0: so- mm-hmm. Sokota. Sure. And
1: he is a stuntman. He's not really an actor. He's a stuntman. Huh. Yeah, if you take a look at his IMDb credits, he does uh, stunts and has been doing them all through the 80s and 90s, and his last credit there was on the TV show series Monk in 2004. But as an actor, he only has seven credits, and his last one was Undercover Brother in 2002 as Fortress Security.
0: My note basically says about this entire episode, sums up, the aliens are setting up some type of virtual reality warrior matching Uh, Play game Mortal Kombat video game What the fuck happened to this show
1: (laughs) That was your (laughs) note
0: Yes That was my note I was just so pissed that this is the direction they went into Um, Kincaid and Debbie go uh, For breakfast and then to an expo Which seems to be Up and running like you would go to Any convention in 2020 2019 2021 Conventions didn't seem to stop during the pandemic and everything looks like very clean and nice and neat and pretty. But the apocalypse well, this is, is having. Supposed to
1: be a, a, this is supposed to be like a job fair type of virtual simulation. You know, get the kids to learn about what careers are out there. And in this changing environment of a, a world that's basically deteriorating, I'm not exactly sure what type of careers there would be out there.
0: I just don't understand what type of, like, it it just seems a little out of place for this, like, career expo in the middle of, like, this collapse of society. I mean, we're going to see a police station coming up very soon that looks like the police station from Super Mario Brothers or RoboCop.
1: True, true. But I I guess life does go on. You know, I have heard that in um, society collapses around the world – in this modern age where there are moments where you have totally ordinary life. You are meeting with your friends, you're having dinner, you're going out to restaurants. And then the next picture on your gallery is you taking a picture of a burning car and a collapsed building and, you know, something catastrophic happening, but it happens in such succession where you have these good points and bad points. And perhaps we're just catching them on one of these good points where this place is well maintained and hasn't collapsed to crime and
0: and bombing well we could certainly ask somebody if we knew anybody who happens to live in a country that went from a pretty staple uh stable utopia for about hot five minutes to the utter collapse and tyrannical rule under a tyrannical government all of a sudden what just happened in the news recently
1: Well, Afghanistan is definitely not a good thing.
0: John becomes a spy for no other options. Oh, because he, um, that was the only thing that was available to him when he was basically talking about his career. And then we meet, uh, David Nash, tech kid in a wheelchair, which we've seen before. It's every time there's a kid in a wheelchair, he's like a super duper computer whiz.
1: They didn't say that he was a super duper computer whiz in this episode.
0: He's pretty much a super duper computer whiz. How so? How so? He does computer David stuff. out
1: for his engineering simulation, but it wasn't stated whether he successfully passed that or not.
0: I don't know. they It just seems like they, they made him like a computer whiz in this episode. Like he's able to help the gang out with computer stuff, especially when it comes to, uh, you know, when Debbie gets captured.
1: I didn't really catch that.
0: They captured you know, Debbie. I, I,
1: I didn't translate that into being a computer whiz. I thought that was just him helping out.
0: They capture Debbie pretty fast, and then they go right to uh, her getting stuck into the uh, virtual reality simulator. Kincaid is formed. David tells Kincaid that Debbie was kidnapped.
1: So David Nash is played by the actor Trey Smith, and he has had a long career uh, from 1985, uh, was on the show 99 b one of those Kung Fu The Legend Continues actors as well, Cheaper by the Dozen. Just bit parts here and there. Uh, but his last role was in the TV show Raising Expectations and played a cop. He's not actually disabled.
0: No, I didn't. They they yeah. almost never cast disabled yeah. people. It's not very easy to cast disabled people in roles unless you absolutely need it for um, something in particular. It's it's extremely rare. I, I can't think of one off the top of my head that's playing a disabled actor I mean, there's a blind girl TV show on right now where she solves mysteries. She's not, the actress isn't really blind. You know, they do use amputee victims for certain roles. Like in Poltergeist, there's a famous uh, half man walking around in the movie, you know, and, and, um, they, you know, a lot of zombie movies, a lot of The Walking Dead will use amputee victims, uh, to pull off fake arms because it's so much easier. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and they find a lot of roles that way, which is great for them. And they're not playing disabled characters either, by the way. They're playing, Monsters. Yeah. So Debbie uh, loses her weapon in the VR, and Debbie defeats the champion, defeats the champion, and then fights a mutant in a graveyard. Uh, She sees her own grave and Excalibur. That's basically, I mean, it's just basically a Debbie plot line. Does she able to pull Excalibur from the stone?
1: She does, yeah. Uh, Her opponent, who is nicknamed the Champion, Sendak uh, is the character name, is played by Michael Woods. And he doesn't have a photo on IMDb, and in fact, this is one of his only credits, and he only has five credits. And one of them is, again, a Friday the 13th of series from the episode The Mephisto Ring. Which one was that? Uh, the Mephisto Ring, he plays Angelo, so I don't know which character that one is off the top of my head, but the Mephisto Ring, I believe, is the, um, the devil ring? The...
0: Been so long, I don't remember, so...
1: <laughs> I know. I'm going to be going through these uh, Friday the 13th, the series episodes again and kind of redoing the focus areas and refreshing my memory on all this.
0: Wait, really? Yeah. Oh.
1: Not for here. You oh, know, for okay. I was going to say,
0: that's that's crazy. Don't do that. Yeah, that's a, that's a crazy amount of time-consuming effort for that. I thought the focus areas were fine.
1: Uh, no, no, but I want to, you know, put... Pizzazz them a bit. Uh, that's you know, fine. verify You're... my facts and put some music and stuff like that, and maybe uh, offer them on Patreon. All
0: something. right, that's fine. I'm not. I'm just saying. And just you, you, they. I thought they were fine just the way they were. That's all. <laughs> uh, John, the gang goes to rescue Debbie. John looks like James Bond in this episode. Debbie's plot takes forever. I wrote down. <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, and we finally get to see Kincaid for the first time. Pick up a sword, and it's like Highlander. And I couldn't capture one goddamn photo on my phone to make it look right because uh, the quality of the DVDs is so muddy sometimes. When they're swinging the swords around, it just didn't look great. Right. But it would have been great to capture an image of Kincaid in his tux swinging his sword like he is Duncan MacLeod. Yeah. Because that's yeah. literally what he is in about three years from this time. Highlander okay. started in what, 1993, 94?
1: Something like that.
0: Yeah, so we are seeing the precursor of uh, Adrian Paul swinging a sword around. I was just screaming Highlander, Highlander, Highlander. I wrote in my notes over and over again because that's what it is. <laughs> I mean, it's just nothing else. This <laughs> is maybe like if this is Mark Hamill flinging a sword around.
1: <laughs> well, one of the things that I noticed in this episode is that you know they're trying to get into the gambling pool in order to save Debbie, and it's a $1,000 buy-in. I don't know how they got $1,000 or a tuxedo for Kincaid. That just seems like it would be something that, for one, you couldn't find in this new economy, and two, he's in a shelter in the sewers, so I wouldn't really peg that as something he owned.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of curious. Like, I'm just assuming he stole it. Yeah, yeah that could be. Or he had something. He bartered something. Like he would. He's so handsome. He was just like, I'll take you out on a date if you give me a tuxedo. And she was just like, Oh yeah, of course, Johnny. <laughs> By the way, only the women he sleeps with call him Johnny. Have you noticed that through the show? Yes. Okay. That Harrison doesn't call. J- Harrison doesn't call him Johnny. Debbie doesn't call him Johnny. Susan doesn't call him Johnny. The women he sleeps with, or he was in combat with, which we will learn very soon, call him Johnny.
1: Well, they share a very intimate relationship, you know?
0: I, I guess, yes, obviously, because he's sleeping with them.
1: Kincaid actually makes a bet uh, with diamonds, which was interesting. They must have been like cubic zirconias or something. Hmm. I would not expect the, the Harrison group to have diamonds on hand.
0: Yeah, maybe. Who Who played the monsters in the game? The mutants, the monsters or the zombies, whatever they are.
1: It doesn't really have anything on IMDb for that.
0: Okay. I was just kind of curious. They looked okay for their limited TV budget of makeup and special effects.
1: Yeah, I mean, there was so much fog, you really couldn't see them, very clearly. Debbie takes wait, a wait, very wait, interesting wait, approach
0: wait, to the game. Wait, 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 That's why I wasn't saying anything. All right, repeat what you said earlier.
1: Debbie takes an interesting approach to the game. Uh, she decides that since the game is working off of her fear that maybe if she changes her her mind on things and stops being fearful and creates something else within the game then the game will change for her and she does she actually creates a formal dinner time experience with her mom dressed as a 1950s-esque housewife cooking dinner something that uh debbie says that she hasn't made dinner for her since she was a little kid. That's kind of sad.
0: Oh, that is sad.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, I'm also kind of shocked they didn't put Susan and Harrison together the entire time of this entire show, other than the uh, fantasy that Debbie had of the domestic bliss of, like, Uncle John and Mom and Dad. Not once. Yeah,
1: but I don't think I would have liked to watch
0: that. The producers would not have cared what our opinions are, whether we were the audience then or the audience we are now because that is what sells a show sex and romance when your two main characters will they or won't they and don't forget this was hinted at uh, a little bit a microscopic amount that was pointed out to Harrison by um Ironwood in the previous season Iron Horse Iron Horse Iron Horse
1: Yeah but
0: remember when she got all dolled up for that date and I, and, and 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 Blackwood was looking at her longingly You know, and Iron Horse says, you should should ask her out. I can feel the sexual tension between the two of you because that's the way it's written. Because it's the 80s and moonlighting was what everyone wanted to do.
1: I don't think that Harrison has very good choice in... And partners, so no. I, I wouldn't well,
0: want does, that pairing. Neither does Debbie. I mean, neither does Debbie. Well, <laughs> neither does Debbie, yeah, but neither does Susan either. Neither does Debbie, by the way, either. Alien good boy and, like, you know, all the other, like, little teeny bopper romances they've tried to set her up with in plot lines. Um, the worst being Alien boy, <laughs> which we won't get to. He's coming back. <laughs> yeah. Yep. yep. Puppy love. Just sci-fi style. <laughs> Um, The only time child romance has ever worked in any movie I've ever seen is possibly My Girl, but it ends so tragically, as well as um, – have you ever seen Camp Nowhere with uh, Christopher Lloyd?
1: Yes, a long
0: time ago. Great movie. I I rewatched it like a couple years ago. I still think that movie holds up very well. You would never be able to get away with what those kids get away with, of course. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. and Christopher Lloyd's, like, borderline kidnapping, basically. <laughs> All is well that ends well. My last note is just that I'm shocked they didn't put Susan and, Deb- and Harrison together, because I-, I always felt like that was going to be a lead into something.
1: something. Uh, well, Debbie actually fights her way out of the game.
0: Yeah, she does you know, she, very well.
1: She is, you know, works her way around the puzzles that Sendak is trying to put her in, and shoots the right Kincaid and then is able to get out of the game because if they were to unplug them while they were still in the game, everyone would have died that was in, hooked into the program
0: mm. also, it reminds me of the Matrix in a way, you die in the game you die in real life because you can't. the mind can't exist without the body, I mean I think that's the thing yeah. about every virtual reality, Tron, the Matrix, whatever
1: yeah, the TV, VR rules,
0: yes, and by the way uh, another Forever Night connection, At the, the, right after I watched this episode, I went back and started continuing my rewatch of Forever Night Season 3, Catherine Disher, uh, there's an episode called The Games That Vampires Play, Nick gets addicted to a virtual reality video game where he can actually be his true vampire self, and Catherine Disher's character is constantly trying to tell Nick that this is a bad idea because you're going to give in to your baser vampire instincts. And all the while, he's trying to figure out who killed some programmer of the video game. She's in the game. Mm -hmm. Like, the clues of the game. Like, the the killer's not in the game. It's not like the video game came to life. Okay. But you basically get to fuck a vampire in the video game. Hot. (laughs) She was. Indeed, yes. Until she, you know, until Nick stepped in and had to be all like, I've got to be super cop and, you know, vampire super cop.
1: Vampire super cop.
0: That's all I have for this episode. Uh, we will move on to the next episode with a quick break and Mr. Zeneca's Plot your Wild Focus area of the week. <laughs> What's the focus area of the week?
1: I'm reviewing War of the Worlds Goliath. It's an animated movie from 2012.
0: Which starred Adrian Paul.
1: Exactly. That's why I'm doing it.
0: Yes not great. <laughs> I've seen it. It is not good. <laughs> it's uh it's 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 just it's not. I'm not even gonna give it any type of uh credit. It is it was like, oh wow, this is a thing and this was kinda boring. And people think the Tom Cruise movie isn't that great. I thought the Tom Cruise movie was actually pretty good. It's just Tom Cruise is too big of a star for that story.
1: You and I sometimes have differing opinions as to what's good and what's not good, and that's okay. okay. You know.
0: That's it's fine. our podcast.
1: We can have different opinions.
0: As long as mine is always right. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> um. Does that also account for the TV shows that we've done? Because I know Me. you were not a big fan of Witchblade, right? No. Okay. No. I, I'm I, not
1: really a big fan of cop dramas.
0: Okay. And I was running out of steam on The Addams Family. But you could have done The Addams Family until you were dead in the grave, right? Yeah.
1: Okay. Addams Family all day, every day. It's, yeah. What about Constantine? I
0: love what about Constantine.
1: I love that one, too, because they actually did their homework.
0: What about Spawn?
1: Spawn, it was okay.
0: What about, okay, we both can admit Swamp Thing was terrible and just made to sell toys. Okay. Uh, Bill and Ted, really bad. Mm, (sighs) It was bad. It was terrible. Kindred, a lot of fun. Could have done better with a better script, but the idea was...
1: It had promise, but it didn't really deliver
0: and what else did we do? Um.
1: Oh, Dracula. Dracula.
0: Yeah, Dracula. Dracula was great. Dracula could have gone another season. I enjoyed it. Yeah? Clarks.
1: Now I'm going to have to hold out for Reaper to see if I enjoy that as well.
0: I, I think Reaper will be the big one that, in terms of quality, will be well-loved. For one thing, Ray Wise plays the damn devil. It's Ray Wise. <laughs> You know, he's a great actor, you know, and everything he's been in, from Twin Peaks to RoboCop to so on and so forth, you know, everything else he's ever done.
1: I will hold out my opinion until I actually see the
0: show. Okay. We, we know the first episode will be good because it's directed by Kevin Smith. Yes. Yes. Well, hopefully. All right. We'll be back with more Dead TV Podcast in just a few moments.
1: Welcome, gentle folk and people of all ages. This is Mistress Zeneca, coming to you from beautiful Atlanta, Georgia's 2021 Dragon Con. As featured in the 2012 War of the Worlds Goliath movie, on the battlefield, in this corner we have our human heroes, the savers of humanity, the hallowed dead, the toughest roughnecks that humanity has to offer. Do they have what it takes to stop the invasion? And in this corner, at approximately 80 feet tall, with three legs, multiple arms, and a real nasty temper, is the Martians. Will these heels defeat our baby-faced good guys? Only time will tell. Let's get ready to rumble! of the world's Goliath. Here's a short synopsis of the movie from IMDb. A retro-futuristic epic of steampunk battle set in 1914. It has been 15 years since the original H.G. Wells' Martian invasion, Fearing another attack, the human race has prepared itself. This is the story of the battle tripod Goliath and its young crew. Goliath is the vanguard of an army of steam-powered battle-walkers, heat-ray biplanes, and armored zeppelins facing a Martian fleet of giant fighting machines and flying wings. Within the cockpit of Goliath, courage under fire, conflicted loyalties, and the struggle to save Earth in this new War of the Worlds. That's not bad for a description of the movie. It's pretty darn close. War of the World's Goliath stars Adam Baldwin, Beau Billingsley, Kim Buckingham, Jim Burns, Elizabeth Grayson, and the Highlander himself, Adrian Paul. It is indeed a movie about a battle, or several battles. It doesn't have much more plot than that. It's very simple. If there's one reason to see this movie, it is purely because the animation is top-notch. Gorgeous. The opening credits have a sepia tone illustration quality that gives you some background into what the aliens are doing versus what humanity is doing on Earth. It had beautiful shading, the character design was okay, and Jim Burns does a great job as Theodore Roosevelt. Very bully, if I do say so myself. I really enjoyed the steampunk visions of the future, and unlike most War of the World stories, the humans decidedly won this one. It wasn't the bacteria this time, it was purely our arms. Nothing new was added to the HG Wells story. There are some military tropes, some revenge stories, but not really anything of consequence. Rotten Tomatoes rates this movie at a 17%, and I can see why. There just isn't any actual plot. It's just really a fight, and that's all it is. It's a fight, and it's eye candy, and, to be honest, I did fall asleep through it two times. Dr. Chris can hate this movie all he wants. I'd say it's probably best to pass this one, but if you are a fan of beautiful animation, give it a look. You can find War of the Worlds Goliath on
0: YouTube. Good night. And we're back on the Dead TV Podcast for the next exciting episode that, just so everyone's aware, this is the... Uh, second of the last four episodes of war of the worlds and it's just funny at the end of each podcast we deal with a retcon that makes no goddamn sense whatsoever and the first of these retcons is max and mr Zeneca has the plot synopsis for us
1: max originally aired april 30th 1990 this is season two episode 18 kincaid's brother max had disappeared during their last mission prior to kincaid running into the blackwood team now the team stumbles across the imprisoned Max while infiltrating an alien stronghold and rescue him. Unknown to the team, Max has been transformed into a RoboCop-like entity programmed to execute Kincaid.
0: So it says that this takes place a year ago, and every episode of the show is almost tomorrow. We're led to believe that, as Mr. Zeneca stated, this is before he met up with the Blackwood team. However, the Blackwood team know Max. It is clearly said out loud who Mac- they knew Max, but Debbie never met Max. Maybe she was at school that day. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever because a year ago, they were living in their cozy little mansion with you know, the two cast members before they got killed off. There was no Max. And Kincaid's underground sewer lair We've seen in all the flashbacks.
1: Yeah, he must have had this safe house area for a long time. Right. Because in these flashbacks, it's shown that Kincaid actually went AWOL. So he went AWOL, started hiding out in this safe house with his brother Max, and then eventually ran into the Blackwood team and invited them back to the shelter.
0: Mm hmm. Uh, The actor who plays Max, um, not in a lot of stuff. Biggest thing probably to his name worth mentioning, The Hunt for Red October and Under Siege. He plays uh, Kamarov, sure, and Lieutenant Bollard in Under Siege, uh, played by Michael Weldon. But that's pretty much it. Um, And then, of course, they all have, like, drinking buddies they meet up with from the old war days. What war? I'm assuming Vietnam. These people probably all fought in together. That would make sense based on the age of these characters, you know what I mean? Mm. Possibly Vietnam, but... I I'm
1: kind a... of assumed it was some sort of secret black ops stuff.
0: You don't think... Uh, you, well, Iron Horse definitely fought in Vietnam.
1: Yeah, but he wasn't part of this little group of of uh, veterans that he's talking with, so...
0: Which makes no sense whatsoever, considering, you know, Iron Horse and, and, and uh, Kincaid were supposed to be old buddies in the war.
1: I wouldn't say buddies so much. It was superior and subordinate, really.
0: Yeah. Or insubordinate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's true. KK <laughs> was very insubordinate. Extremely
0: insubordinate. Uh one of their buddies in this uh the old uh spy black ops regime, Michael Rhodes, been in stuff. He was the uh fire captain in Devil. He's hot headed, good old boy in Survival of the Dead, I'm assuming that's a zombie. Um, and he was James Engelman in, uh, Hollywoodland, who I do remember whose character that was. Hollywoodland, by the way, is the, uh, story about a private investigator hired by, uh, a grieving mother to find out, did her son actually kill himself? And her son was George Reeves. Mm. Yeah, Adrian Brody is in the movie. Uh, George Reeves is played by Ben Affleck. Okay. Decent film. Um, also we have Chuck Shamata. Shamata? Shamata? I'm probably mispronouncing that. He was in Death Wish 3, 4, sorry, Cinderella Man, The Day After Tomorrow, and then uh, Kincaid's old girlfriend, is that, um, is that... Skoggs. That's Skoggs. Okay, hold on. Scogs, yeah, we've
1: seen her before many times.
0: Oh, we have. Okay, that's right. And this is where she dies.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, this is the episode she dies. The other... That's okay. uh... We don't have
0: any more episodes left to go, so...
1: (laughs) The, the other veteran that is meeting with them, the uh, character's name is Gomez, is played by Jorge Montesi.
0: Jorge Montesi. Montesi.
1: Yeah, what who is also in the TV show Andromeda.
0: which we went into the giant connection between Andromeda and this show. A lot of people – but, of course, Andromeda is also a uh, a Vancouver show too, so that's why we're seeing a lot of Mm -hmm. people show up in there besides Catherine Disher and um, Jill. So we open up right in the beginning with a guy burnt to the crisp. Um, Now, notice all the flashbacks are in black and white, like when Kincaid and Harrison went to the events of uh, the day after tomorrow.
1: Yeah, so anything in the past is in black and white and present time is in color. Stylistic, Okay.
0: So when the aliens bring back Max as their clone Terminator thing, the entire episode, which, okay, so I have to talk about what Mr. Zedek and I were talking about offline. When I'm texting her this, and I keep saying the name Max, she is going out of her skull thinking I'm talking about the cartoon we are about to cover in a few weeks.
1: Well, I mean, I mean like, you know, you were
0: saying Max, and I was thinking, <laughs> what I thought that was so damn funny. You're like, what are you talking about? I'm like,
1: what are you talking about? Like, I, no. I'm, I'm like, the
0: Terminator, the blonde girl, and you're like, I'm like, no, no, you say the blonde girl, and I'm like, Beautiful. what? And then I, that's what I realize immediately when you're talking about the homeless person because he's a homeless guy. I'm like, oh, we're talking about two completely different things. She hasn't seen the episode yet. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you were saying Max, and I was thought that you were just misspelling it because of autocorrect,
0: oh. and so you
1: were beating the Max.
0: Yeah, so that was very funny. So you get what now? What I'm talking about? Like he's the Terminator, right? And everything's like yeah, the he Terminator. Totally he walks into the, uh, the 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 government facility, just blowing people away. The way he is just like hunting down the former members of his team is like the Terminator hunting down Sarah Connor. They go to a nightclub, you know, the Terminator goes after John, uh, uh, Kyle Reese, and Sarah at a nightclub. Yeah. Like, so often. And how many times did we keep using that targeting scope in his head?
1: Oh, that was at least five times.
0: Right. And he's got, like, the giant gun, too, which is like, isn't that a grenade launcher?
1: I don't know. He got shot so many times, but he's a robot. He's purely a robot. And he's got, like, this... Human parts added to this robot, so he's, you know, cyborg-ish. But really, he's a robot with human skin.
0: I do love the fact that every time they're uh, drinking together, um, John's watering hole is the strip club.
1: I think it's the only strip club in town.
0: It's the only strip club in town. By the way, it's speaking of... It's the only
1: of, one they've got the set for.
0: Yeah, apparently so. And it's 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 so funny that we're... Uh, the uh, it, 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 In the time of the apocalypse... Um, you, you will find, like, sex and strip clubs becoming, like, the thing to make money, right? Yeah. Right? Because it's lucrative business, it's easy to do if you can do it. I'm not saying it's easy work, I'm just saying that if you have the means to put yourself out there to do it... you've got it, flaunt Exact. That's exactly the words I was looking for, I wasn't sure if I was um, of the right sex to say that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, what was just announced in the news today... Regarding sex and a certain website.
1: OnlyFans is now going to get rid of their sex
0: workers. No, they reversed that today. What? Yes, it's been all over the news. They have reversed that. They have said they're not going to – they are – they have completely done a uh, 360 on that. It's been all over uh, the news. Well,
1: that's probably the smarter reason because, you know, if they were going to remove porn off their site, it would go the way of Tumblr. Tumblr went from a billion dollar company to being sold for three million dollars. They see that. They got the backlash from their workers. They got the backlash from their audiences, the people that pay the money. And I am glad that they reversed it. I hadn't heard about that today because I've been working on this, but I am super glad about
0: that. Did you watch all four episodes like today? I did. Holy shit. <laughs> I could not do that busy. with this show. Reaper, the Max, the Max is like 13-minute episodes Um, with commercials they are apparently like 12, 13 minutes, which you cut out the, the credits, too. God, you're a trooper. I could not do all four of these episodes in a row. This, I mean, I'm sorry, This, the quality of the show went downhill.
1: No, I did all four episodes, and I thought it was a pretty good reason for my day, you know? Um, I set aside my day job and worked on Oh, it. boy. <laughs> you were totally right, though. This is Terminator all the way.
0: Now, the military calls them. Like, they have their number listed. Like, they've been keeping tabs on the Blackwood team. And just the continuity that just doesn't... It, again, they were, like, involved with the military, and then all of a sudden the military is just like, "Uh, we don't know anything about no aliens, even though it's in the history books in this continuity that aliens came to the planet once upon a time. But the... It bugs the crap out of me how badly the writers just didn't care. And I know they were under the gun from the studio, and we've read that giant thing. Go back to the beginning of our season two coverage, I read an email from somebody about what was going on behind the scenes of the show. But this just baffles the crap out of me, that one moment we're in the, mil- we're with the military and the next moment we're not. And the only thing we've ever gotten is that one time Harrison says, uh, the military just stopped taking our calls one day.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: and Uncle Henry, Hank, Uncle Hank, right? Just di- completely disappeared from continuity. True. Yeah, just ah, uh, so aggravating because it's just like the military all of a sudden are after them, and it's just like don't they? Oh, this is the Blackwood team. Oh yeah, we shouldn't be after them because they know about the aliens, and we know about the aliens too. They never explain the destabilization of society and the government in a very concrete way. It's a little bit explained in a giant retcon coming up. We're about to cover but not in a way that, is, that still makes any se- lick of sense.
1: It is vague. And, you know, I, I guess it's better to be vague than try to nail down exactly what fell in society and when.
0: Also, John says that he thinks the aliens are bogus during one of the flashbacks. Once again, we have already covered, I thought, and I was wrong, but I thought maybe the aliens did a giant mind wipe of everyone like in Doctor Who, and that's why no one remembers them. But it was so long ago... It's just kind of like, oh, that happened. But John is like, oh, aliens are bogus, but aliens invaded the the planet in 1954? 54, 56? Well, remember,
1: they did say that there was some sort of human denial
0: going uh, on. Yeah, but John's in the military. Come on. It's just, it's bad writing.
1: The relationship between Max and John is very stressed. You know, they're solar opposites from one another, and... John just wants to be like his big brother, Max, but yet goes AWOL and doesn't do the falling in line that his big brother wants him to do.
0: Do you think it's funny the aliens can see everything through Max?
1: Well, they inserted the Watcher in his eyeball, which is why at the end of the episode he stabs his own eyeballs so that they can't see. So they, they implanted that in him.
0: The... um. Harrison knocks the colonel out, which is pretty damn funny because that colonel is just being a giant jackass. Susan gets blown up and looks like hell, and John tries to appeal to the human side of Max, um, and fails. But Max, uh, I guess, fights through the programming, dies, and we get a twenty-one gun salute and taps said for him in a military funeral, which again is kind of funny that they have this like military funeral. It looks all grandiose and and just you know society collapsing. It just didn't seem like they would really have time for this. They don't arrest the Blackwood team. You know, they don't go, oh, hey, let's give you some resources. We never see the military again after this.
1: But I was happy to see that uh, Kincaid's salute was much better than he had when he saluted Iron Horse. That was a very weak salute at Iron Horse's funeral. This one, he actually put a little bit of effort into it.
0: Yeah, um, a little bit. I, I feel like they had a military uh, person. Helping them with the first season more than they did the second season. I think they were a little bit more in line with the military structure um, than they were in season two. Mm -hmm. And we can ask questions about that with somebody coming on the next episode. Did you notice
1: that when each of the aliens actually get shot and die, there is a sound effect of an eagle shriek? It's like that.
0: No, I didn't. I didn't notice that. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, it it's weird, because you can hear the whale song whenever you see the Eternal, and then for the aliens, whenever they die, for the aliens, whenever they die, it's that eagle cry, ah! you know, mixed in with the sound of the stunner.
0: Okay, repeat everything that you just said. Okay. <clears throat>
1: with the Eternal, you can hear the sound of, like, the whale songs, part of the sound effect for the Eternal, With the aliens' deaths, you hear the eagle shriek, ah, you know, mixed in with the sound of that uh, stunner device that they have. So it's, I don't know why I didn't notice it or if maybe it just popped up in this episode, but I heard that clear as day in this episode.
0: Okay, maybe I, maybe I maybe I, missed it. I was just too distracted by the fact that they made taps like a thing in this. And they've had military characters die in this Season 2, and this is the first one we get it.
1: Well, they need to add it a bit of specialness, because this is Kincaid's brother.
0: I guess so. One of the military... Oh, go ahead.
1: It's not often that your brother comes back to life, tries to kill you, and then gets killed once again.
0: The, um... He's just listed as MP. We've had more than one MP in this episode, but uh, I wanted to point out that the MP, one of the MPs in this episode is played by Barkley Hope. He played Clifford Blossom on uh, Riverdale. Mm, nice. And he's been in many other things, but that's just the most recent thing that people might notice him as. Clifford Blossom, I think this was, he's Claudius Blossom as well. I think this is... Uh, Cheryl Blossom's uh, father on the show. She's the redheaded, voluptuous, catty like character. Because mm. Archie needs one of three different colored girls, right? Blonde, brunette, redhead, and black. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way they wrote uh. Archie. <laughs> uh. That's all the notes I have for this episode.
1: That's all I have, too. But I have one thing to say to you, Dr. Chris. Congratulations! Uh, your podcast, Goth Girl Horror, was nominated for Best Short Form Podcast, so congratulations to my co-host on his other things.
0: Oh, thank you very much. Yes, um, I swear to God. I. Uh, so you submit the podcast and the episode, and I might have submitted this one for Best Interview, and I did the John D. LeMay one. Mm-hmm. So maybe that next time I, it is a good episode. But uh, maybe next time I'll just submit the show itself. <laughs> but I appreciate that. Yes. Um, so we got nominated, and the award ceremony is on the 29th, which is this Sunday.
1: Excellent.
0: Yes, I believe it's this Sunday. Uh, 25th, 26th, or 27th. Yes, 29th is Sunday. Um, and I'm competing against one other show, and I'm sorry, I'm competing against two other shows, one of which I also co-host. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, so you've got a good chance there.
0: It, it maybe, maybe. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with the finale and special guests. We've got two guests for the finale this year. we got Jim Henshaw returning to the show. He hasn't been on with us for a couple of years, uh, but in a way he has been with us because he has been giving us information about stuff behind the scenes. And also Adrian Paul, which we talked about a long time ago. We did the interview. We recorded it, but we were going to wait till the show ended like we did Yancey Butler. So uh Adrian Paul and Jim Henshaw will be on the next episode with us. You can find us on Facebook at the Dead TV Podcast, and and you can also find us at that at You can send us an email there, sorry. And if you wish to, you can also uh find us on Twitter at Christy SAV and elegantly Kiki, and we'll be back with the finale of War of the Worlds on the Dead T V podcast.
1: Good night.